My name's Matt, lead pastor here at Anchor Church. Great to see you here. Hey, is anyone here from the East this morning? Did anyone make it from the East to church today? Yes, well done. You, you, you made it through the roadblocks, the city to surf. These guys deserve a medal. So let's give them a round of applause just for being here this morning, all you guys from the East. Well done. Good work. Hey, uh, Brian mentioned we're going to be in Colossians this morning, so if you've got a Bible, why don't you go ahead to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first seven verses there this morning, Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to look at the Word of God together, and I'm hoping that God will encourage our hearts this morning as He speaks to us by His Spirit through the Word. Anyone else excited for that? Good. This room is great. Like, Just turn around and look up there for a second. Have a look at it. I don't know what that says to you. Maybe that says, oh, empty room, but that's just, that's potential, right? Imagine this room full of thousands of people worshiping Jesus. That'd be great. One day, one day, I got one amen from that. Thank you, whoever that was over there. Yeah. Thank you, Matt. All right, let's go. Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to pray. We'll look at the Word of God together. Father God, we thank you that you speak, that you're a God who is addressing us, that you're a personal God, that we can know. We thank you even now as we pray that you hear us. And so God, still our hearts this morning as we come before you in your words. Speak to us powerfully by your Spirit. Remind us this morning of the truths of the gospel upon which we stand. God, we pray that wherever we're at this morning on our journey in faith, that you might strengthen us, encourage us, build us up, establish us in faith this morning. We ask it in the powerful name of Jesus and all those who agreed said, Amen. All right, Colossians chapter 2 verse 1 says this, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and of the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you by plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding with thanksgiving. In about 2003, my best buddy and I, Neil, decided we would take a six-week trip up the east coast of Australia and do some four-wheel driving and some fishing and some surfing. And uh, we threw my surfboard on the roof. He, fish, he fished. I surfed. And on the way up, my surfboard came flying off and snapped. And so I did no surfing that whole trip. But uh, it was a good trip. It was kind of this trip I was about to start Bible college. He was about to start a ministry apprenticeship. We both felt that the rest of our lives was about to be taken away from us. We needed to make the most of it while we still had an income to go and spend time on a holiday. And so we spent six weeks traveling up the east coast of Australia in his brand new Toyota Hilux. Amazingly cool car, great car to go full driving in, decked out with all this gear. And I can't quite remember where it was, whether it was on Fraser Island or one of the other numerous places we went forward driving. But we came to this, um, this bridge that was made out of tree trunks, just significantly large tree trunks laid across this body of water. And we pulled up to this, this bridge in the middle of nowhere. 
we hadn't seen another car for a long time. And we thought, should we cross this bridge or not? And we needed to cross this bridge. Otherwise, it would have taken us a long time to turn around and go all the way back the way that we come. And so I got out of the car and uh, I kind of like ushered him forward onto this bridge very slowly. I'm like, let's just put the weight of the car on the front of the bridge and see how it goes. And, and then we'll get the whole car on there and let it sit for a bit and see if it holds it. And, and then we'll drive across very slowly. And so he gets on and, and I'm doing these things. I'm like, you know, like he's literally got centimeters either side of his wheels to get this four-wheel drive across this bridge. We made it. The car didn't fall in the water. It was good. But no one does that when they cross the harbor bridge, right? Like no one is walking in front of you on the harbor bridge going left a bit, left a bit, right, right a bit, right a bit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Like we don't do that. Why? I mean, the harbor bridge is 1.1 kilometers long. It's 160 meters in the air. We don't do that because it's safe and stable and solid. I mean, we, we drive across the harbor bridge without a care in the, in the world, without a worry that this thing is going to fall and not hold the weight of our vehicle because it's sturdy and safe and robust. Now that metaphor I love to describe my faith, or at least I would love that that would be a real description of my faith, that, that it would be strong and robust and firm and able to take the weight of whatever life circumstances push upon it, unlike the shaky bridge that's made out of trees, that you're very uncertain. Isn't that what we want for our faith? That we would have a firm, strong, robust faith. But how quickly our faith is rocked, isn't it? I mean, you get sick, or you get the flu, and you're like, God, why is this happening to me? Or, you know, you miss the bus and you're like, curse the day that I was born that I'm going to be late for work. And, or, you know, like you, you, someone cuts you off in traffic and you go from this meek, mild, humble Christian to Hulk on steroids in a matter of seconds. You're flipping the bird, yelling out the window, like how quickly your faith is rocked. I remember just uh, almost a year ago, just over a year ago, I had surgery on my left knee from a soccer injury and it was supposed to be a one-day surgery. I was supposed to be have this, this knee reconstruction done, be out of hospital the next day, back at work. I was in hospital for seven days and I was in bed for three weeks after that surgery. Now, I, I remember I had to go back for a secondary surgery because I had this hematoma and this bruising. My whole leg was black and blue from top to bottom and it was really swollen, so they had to go in and drain all this fluid and blood out of it. And it was, they put a thing in there to let it come out. It was pretty gross. And, and I'm lying in the hospital bed, and I'm supposed to be preaching that week at the healing ministry in the city for people who have got terminal cancer, for people who have got chronic pain, for people who have got all sorts of things and circumstances in their life that are significant and heavy. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I've got to write a sermon but I'm like, God, what have you put me here for? Why couldn't I be out of hospital so I can write my sermon? And then I started thinking, maybe God's got me here for a purpose. That's right. He's allowed me to suffer in hospital so that I can identify with terminally ill cancer patients. And I'm like, what? Like, are you serious? I'm like, if you said that to them, that would be so offensive that, ah, oh, you know, God put me in hospital so I can identify with your pain. I'm like, you were in hospital for a week, a week, and it was just knee surgery. How quickly our faith is, I mean, can anyone else identify with that? Oh, just me. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize you guys were so holy. I'll just preach this sermon to myself side of stage here and you guys can do your th No way. We all know that we're 
We've got rock-solid faith until some circumstance comes into our lives and it shakes it. We want to have faith that is solid and firm and robust and dependable. You know, Isaiah, in chapter 7, verse 9, Isaiah says, If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Firm faith is so important. You know, that, that verse from Isaiah was the kind of like the life verse, the memory verse of a, a friend of mine who, um, who probably led about 30 people that he knew, 30 of his friends to the Lord. And he always used to say, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you won't stand at all. And to this day, as far as I'm aware, he's not walking with Jesus because he hasn't stood firm in his faith. There were circumstances that came in his life. There were messages and arguments that convinced him that Jesus wasn't enough and worth it. And he's not walking with the Lord. Firm faith. It's important. And Paul has that concern for this church. He, in chapter 2, verse 4, he, his concern is that they would not be sidetracked by these fine-sounding, plausible arguments. Have a look at verse 4. This is what he says. I say all of this stuff in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now, we're going to get a little bit more into what these plausible arguments are next week as Arnaldo unpacks the second half of chapter 2. But essentially what they're saying is this, that if you really want to know Jesus, there is this secret spiritual kind of wisdom that's only accessible to those hyper-spiritual people. And, and that's really what you need to be a mature, wise free Christian. Paul is saying, I don't want you to be deluded by these plausible, fine-sounding arguments that there is something that you need to add to the gospel message of Jesus. Now, most of us aren't tricked or fooled by that wildly outrageous, out there kind of falsehood, right? We're just we're not, we're not tricked when the person in your gospel community is like, you know, I just think Jesus was this like Asian lesbian that had angel wings and carried a samurai sword and just went around slaying demons. You're like, I'm not really sure there's a verse about that in the Bible. Like, you're not quickly fooled by something that's so outrageously far from the truth, but the half-truth, the truth that comes packaged in this really attractive PR campaign, those are the truths that, sound plausible and reasonable to us that can lead us away from the faith. My guess is you're not kind of swayed by the argument that Jediism is a genuine religion that you can tick on the census. I don't know if, has anyone done the census yet? Like, anyone? Has anyone done it? No one. One person, two people have done the census. Well done. My guess is most of you aren't convinced by the arguments of Jediism to tick that on the census. But maybe you are convinced by the claims that genuine, true tolerance in our society will only ever come when we realize that all truth is relative. That what might be true for you is not necessarily true for this person. And that to achieve the tolerance and the, the society that's at peace that we want to see, then what we need to do is recognize that, that those two things cannot possibly both claim to have the market share on truth. That there is no such thing as absolute um, morality. That there is no such thing as a, 
a religious or a cultural absolute that these things are all relative. In fact, um, many people will tell a story of three blind men who come up to this object and begin to touch it with their hands and, and what they're touching is an elephant and the first man grabs the trunk and he says, this object is long and, and it feels like a snake. And the other man who's got his hands around the back leg of the elephant says, no, 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 it's big and round like a tree trunk. And the other guy says, no, 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 it's, it's thin and, and, and long and, and floppy like a stingray and he's holding the ear. And, and so the, 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 the narrative goes that, well, because you, you only have a, a certain percentage of the truth, you can't know all of it, then therefore that we're all kind of, you know, whatever truth you have is kind of true because it's your version of the reality of truth. But the problem with that story is that there is a person who knows that there's an elephant there and can see it with their own eyes. They can see what the blind person can't see. The problem with that kind of narrative is it's very absolute to state that all truth is relative. That's a very absolute statement. If, if everything's relative, then so is the claim that all truth is relative. It doesn't work. And so we're convinced by these plausible, fine-sounding arguments that sound beautiful and cute and peaceful. World peace, but in the end... They don't stack up. They don't work. So Paul's concern is that they wouldn't be sidetracked and deluded by these plausible, fine-sounding arguments. His, his goal, his heart, that we caught a glimpse of last week, remember, as he said, I strive and I struggle and I labor. To what purpose? That they would be mature in Christ. He wants to see a growing, dynamic, faith-filled walk with Jesus. And that's what he paints out in these first couple of verses here in chapter 2. Just have a look at some of the words that Paul uses to describe this faith. He talks about them being encouraged. He talks about them being knit together. He talks about them being assured. All of those in verse 2. Then in verse Five, he talks about them being firm and of good order. He talks about them being rooted and established and built up in the faith in verse 7. All of these words that describe the type of faith that Paul wants to see in this church. Firm, robust, vigorous, dynamic, healthy faith. And that's kind of what he sees. I don't know if you notice that in verse 5 when he says, uh, For although I'm absent in the body... Yet I'm with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He sees these things in this church. It's a reality. There is firm faith. They are built up and strengthened and established in Christ. And he wants them to continue in that. He wants them to continue walking in that. To not be swayed, but to stand firm. And so he gives us a number of things that he struggles for. Three marks of firm faith here in the first three verses. So come back to verse 1 with me. Colossians 2 verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. And this probably suggests that part of Paul's struggle, because he's in prison and he hasn't met these people, part of Paul's struggle is a struggle in prayer that he is praying for them, wrestling in prayer for them. And this is his struggle, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love 
to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is, which is Christ. Three marks of a firm faith that Paul has here. The first is that they would have encouraged hearts. Encouraged hearts. How good is it when you feel encouraged? Does anyone feel encouraged this morning in Christ? Anyone? It's good, isn't it? Yes, one of you. Hallelujah. There's one person who feels encouraged. Well, man, I better preach a good sermon so that the rest of you feel encouraged by the end of this, right? But the reality is we're not always feeling encouraged. We don't always come to church like, praise Jesus, right? And that's okay. It's okay. It's okay to not be okay. We just don't want you to stay there. But what we need to recognize is that the discouraged heart is so quickly led astray. The discouraged heart is so quickly led astray. If you're feeling hurt this morning, if you're feeling discouraged, if you're feeling tired and exhausted, then beware. That is when the enemy loves to strike. And Paul's concern is that they would have this firm faith that is encouraged. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when there's kind of like false teaching, when there's someone who comes in and tries to um, ravage the flock of God by, by preaching a message that's not true, my inclination isn't naturally to go towards how people are feeling but how they're thinking. I'm like, let's go to the Bible. Let's talk theology. Let's get this foundation solid. But Paul doesn't go there to start. He'll get there. But where he goes is the heart. He said, I want you to have an encouraged heart. Because he recognizes that we're not just brains on a stick. We're not just thinking beings. In reality, our hearts, our emotions, our desires, they drive us far more than our thinking, our intellect, and our thoughts. And so he starts there. He says, I want you to have an encouraged heart. An encouraged heart is fuel for a firm faith. It's the first mark. The second mark that Paul sees here of a firm faith is that they're knit together in love, that they're united, intertwined in love. When I was studying my Bachelor of Exercise Science at university, I um, did this course in motor skills and development and learning. And one of the assignments that we had to do for this course was to pick a skill that you had not done before, a skill that you'd had no experience in and learn that task and then journal all of the journey of the learning from novice to kind of this task being autonomous. You can just do it without thinking. And so you could kind of pick anything you wanted as long as you hadn't had any experience in that task. You couldn't have done it before. And so lots of people that were, I'm, I'm talking, I studied 99% of my degree with jocks. All they'd done all of their life was just play sport. None of them had painted or played music. And so a lot of them, I'm going to play guitar, I'm going to play drums. And so they, they went and I'd played guitar for a couple of months in year nine, got lessons. And every week I said to my guitar teacher, I'm like, can you teach me to play a Nirvana song? And so literally for nine months, I learned power chords. And he's like, you know what, man? Your parents are paying good money for these lessons. I think I should teach you some scales. And I was like, it's boring. I quit. So I couldn't, I couldn't do guitar. So here's what I picked. Knitting. <laughs> knitting, right? So I picked knitting as this skill that I was going to learn. And I think after a couple of months of trying to learn knitting, I'd knitted a square about this big with a thousand holes in it. And I was like sitting there trying to learn from Tasha's mom. I was like trying to do this knitting. And it was woeful. Right? But the thing with knitting, when it's done well, when you get it without dropping a thousand stitches, you can pull a garment apart and it stretches 
But the yarn is woven together in such a way that it doesn't fall apart. And that's what Paul's saying here. I want to see a church that is woven together in love, that when there is pressure applied, when there is stretch, when there is a plausible, fine-sounding argument, that there's something that binds these people together, the love that they experience in the gospel, that the love that they have for each other. That's why community is so important. It's why we value gospel communities, gospel triplets here at Anchor, because they are the places where you form those interwoven bonds of love where you experience the reality of what it means to be family here at Anchor. But when you're uncertain about whether or not God loves you, when you're uncertain, sorry, when you feel disconnected, when you feel like there's no one you can turn to, so quickly as the circumstances of life begin to press and pull, our faith gets rocked. So the second mark of a firm faith that Paul sees is that they're united. They're woven together in love. The third mark is that they are fully assured. Have a, have a look at verse 3 with me again. Verse, sorry, verse 2 and 3. Uh, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To reach all the riches of full Assurance. Now, assurance in your faith comes as a byproduct of knowledge and wisdom in the gospel that you understand who you are in Christ, that you get what it means to be loved by the Father. There is certainty that Jesus is able to save you. That's not blind faith, that's deep, intimate knowledge and wisdom in the reality of the gospel, that Jesus loves you, that he is sufficient, that he is able, that you have been included into God's family. And, and when we're uncertain about whether or not Jesus loves us, when we're uncertain about our identity in Christ and we're searching for that identity in all these other places so quickly, that leads to a shaky faith that is moved and swayed when the pressures of life press against it. But you know what? When you feel encouraged, when you feel loved and in community, when, when you feel sure of your faith, those things produce a firm, rock-solid faith that Paul wants to see. And so he encourages this church. Now, if that's the faith that Paul wants to see, and hopefully that's the faith that you desire in your life, certainly the faith I want to see in my life, how do we get there? How do we nurture that kind of faith? And Paul comes through two of the most important verses in this letter. Chapter 2, verse 6 and 7 are what are, what are described as the hinge verses of the letter. Everything swings around these two verses. And here is what he believes will keep this church solid, firm, robust in their faith. This is, this is how we get there. Verse 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. How? The answer, surprise, surprise. Jesus, right? Come on, you guys are... 
did no one get coffee this morning? Like there are cafes here on MR Road. You don't have to go to Roastville. The answer is Jesus, right? And, and yes, that shouldn't surprise us because our series is called It's All About Jesus. But Paul says, if you want to know what it looks like to have a firm, solid faith, the answer is Jesus. Walking in Jesus. As you received Christ by faith, so continue in Him. So the question is, how did they receive Christ? You've got to come back to Colossians chapter 1, verse 5 with me to see how that happened for them. Colossians 1, verse 5 says this, Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved Fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. How did they receive Jesus? They heard the gospel. They heard the good news that Christ had died for their their sins and they received that by putting their faith in him. Paul is saying the way that you received Christ by putting your faith in him is the way that you continue in Christ by faith in him. Now, Paul's not saying, right, the solution to all your problems is to wake up every day and pray the sinner's prayer. What is it again? A, B, C, I man, believe, commit, do that every single day, you're sweet, right? That's not what Paul's suggesting here. What he's suggesting is that you need to appropriate the gospel to yourself every single day. That you live today by faith in Jesus just like you did when you first came to faith in Jesus. That you trust in the finished work of Jesus on the cross to cover your sins, to set you free every day. As you received Christ, continue to walk that out. Continue to live in Him. You do not graduate from the gospel. That's what he's saying. You don't graduate from the gospel. You know, we graduate from all sorts of knowledge. Hopefully you graduated from year six to high school and maybe you graduated from high school to university or, or to TAFE. You graduate from these elementary truths and you go on to more developed, nuanced truths and then you end up with like a triple master's and a PhD in some degree that you never end up using anyway. The reality, right? But you never graduate from the gospel. You never graduate from the elementary truth that Christ died for your sins. You know, some of the fruits of that reality, when our attention is on Christ and who He is and what He's done, what that leads to in our life is that we're encouraged, aren't we? When you remember who you were before Jesus came and rescued you and, and took your brokenness upon himself and set you free, that, that truth encourages our hearts. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're united together in love because we're reminded that Christ has forgiven me of my sin, of all of my sins, not just one of them, not just the easy ones, all of them. And so when my brother or sister in Christ sins in a small way against me, I'm able to forgive them. Doesn't the reality of walking by faith in Jesus produce encouragement? Doesn't it produce unity and love? And doesn't it produce assurance 
that this is not about me. That my standing, my security, my certainty is not in what I do, but on what Jesus has done. You see how the gospel, remaining in the gospel, walking by faith, produces the very things that Paul says firm faith looks like. You never graduate from the gospel. But here's the deal. We make a couple of mistakes when it comes to this. The first is that we think that we start with Jesus and then we graduate on to some form of good works. That somehow we earn the Father's approval day by day by the things that we do, by our service of Him, by you know, the, the length of our Bible reading and prayer in the morning, that somehow that makes God love you more than He did the first day you got saved. And we end up being so concerned about all of the rules and trying to keep the rules and we graduate to works. We default back to this self-justifying behavior that is not what got us in in the first place. It's the first mistake that we often make is that we start with the gospel and then we think we stay with good works. But the second mistake we make is often at the other end of the spectrum that we, we start with the gospel that Jesus saves me and then we kind of move on from the gospel. We graduate from it. We think, well, that's kind of like a nice ground-based insurance policy for life and then I can kind of live however I want. I don't really need to appropriate the gospel every day because, hey, back there, Jesus, forgive my sins and whatever. But James says that's not how faith works. It's faith and deed together. It's faith in a transformed life together that produces that. We don't move on from, from the gospel. Firm faith continues to not only just apply the good news of Jesus to our salvation, but also to our sanctification, to our daily renewal in the image of Christ. Now we start with Jesus and we stay with Jesus. We don't graduate on to anything else. We start with Jesus and we stay with Jesus. So my question for you this morning is if Jesus was good enough to start with, isn't he good enough to finish with? I mean, when you became a Christian, didn't you recognize that you needed Jesus? That you needed him to forgive you of your sin? That you needed him to do the very thing that you couldn't possibly do yourself? Like, do we not need him now today for the very same reasons? Like, when you first came to faith in Jesus, didn't you find in him this significance and purpose and meaning in your life that you were searching for? Is that no longer true now for us today as it was the first day we put our faith in Christ? When you came to faith in Jesus, didn't you see that he was entirely loving and good? Is he no longer loving and good today? Nothing has changed with Jesus. You start with Jesus. You stay with Jesus. You start with the gospel. You continue with the gospel. You start by faith in Christ and you live every day by faith in Christ. You never graduate from the gospel. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough than you will ever need for every step of the journey of life that you have. He's enough. I mentioned that these verses here, verses 6 and 7, are the hinge of the letter. That everything that Paul has said 
leading up to this point about who Jesus is and what he has done and what he has accomplished, all of this foundation of the gospel then hinges on these two verses. He begins to talk about all of these things, the implications of them, how you ought to live in light of these realities. This is what you should do. You notice this pattern for Paul as he writes all of these letters to these churches that follows this very similar pattern. He lays down the gospel indicatives before he ever gets to some form of imperative. That is, he says, this is what has been done for you in Christ, therefore live this way. You never see it flipped around the other way in Paul's letters. He's constantly wrestling between those two things. Even as he gives an you know, some form of thing that you ought to do in the back half of Colossians, he doesn't leave that long before he goes back to the gospel and reminds you of Christ. Because you don't move on from that. This is how we live now in the reality of all that Jesus has done by faith in him. And the reason I think we often fail in our doing is because we've lost sight of what has been done. We fail in our doing because we've lost sight of what has been done for us in Jesus. The reason we don't experience victory over sin in our life is because we're obsessed with that sin and we've forgotten that Jesus has paid for it. God doesn't want us to live in brokenness. And that's why he sent Jesus to set you free. He wants us to live in the freedom of forgiveness in light of the gospel every single day. Remember that joy that you first experienced when you first came to faith? If you're a Christian, hopefully you remember that. Or maybe it was a progressive journey for you. Do you remember that? It was like, this is amazing. Because at that point, you got with crystal clear clarity what it looks like to be set free from your brokenness and sin. And then we walk on the journey of faith and that reality becomes something that's in the past behind us and we start to walk in all of these things that we're thinking makes God love us more. When at the cross he said, I cannot love you any more than what I've already given you in Christ. We never graduate from the gospel. You know, often when we share our story, share your, your testimony, this is kind of how it works out for us. We're like, you know what? Well, here's my story. Once I was this wretched sinner and then Jesus saved me and now I'm a saint. Right now, yes, that's theologically true. But the problem with that is it often inadvertently communicates to someone that you were this horrible person, Jesus saved you, and now you're perfect. You don't wrestle with sin. You've got no problems in your life anymore. That's, that's not reality. That's not true. And so as we share our story, don't just make your past about a past that Jesus redeemed. Make your present about a present that Jesus is continuing to redeem by His grace. Don't just demonstrate how Jesus delivered you. Demonstrate how he is delivering you now. Because we live by faith in the gospel every single day. It's what it looks like to continue the way you started. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And then Paul gives us these two pictures of what that looks like. Two metaphors there in verse 7. 
Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. These two metaphors, rooted and built up. Now, firstly, let's, let's just get clear this one up. This was not translated by Australians. Because you would not translate rooted in an Aussie version of the Bible, right? That means a whole other thing for us in Australia and all you Americans out there who think that's normal. It's not. It's not what it means here in Australia. But this is a kind of horticultural, agricultural image that Paul uses to describe a tree that has put down these deep roots that form this support network, that as the winds come, as, as something leans up on the tree, it doesn't fall over because it's got this support system. Additionally, it draws nutrients from the soil to feed the tree. Firm faith looks like someone who is rooted in Jesus, is, has put down deep roots of stability and nutrient and resource into the person of Christ. The second image there is a construction image that we are built up in Him, that there is this foundation in our life that is Jesus and His finished work on the cross. I mean, you, you just think about the parable that Jesus told at the end of Matthew 7 about two men who built their houses, one on the rock, one on the sand. As the storms come, it erodes the foundation of that house on the sand and it falls. That's the image that Paul is talking about here, that, that we are built on the foundation, the solid foundation that is Christ. And by sticking with Him, and by living by faith in Him, we have this firm faith that is established and that overflows with thanksgiving. You know, as I'm trying to think of a story of someone who's got firm faith, and uh, there were kind of lots of stories that came to mind and often ones that I've shared before in the past and often ones that, um, that, that seem kind of out of touch of reality. Like you tell a story about this great missionary from the past or someone from church history or it's like, yeah, but they're like in another country doing crazy things. Like I'm just in the city doing work. And so I'm, I'm wrestling for this illustration of firm faith and I didn't find one. Not because they're not there. Not because they're not there just because I haven't heard enough of your stories. But the one that I did find this morning was a story that, that Brian was telling me when he was working in the mines in Newcastle and people found out that he was a Christian, they used to rip on him every single day. They used to say that Jesus was his gay boyfriend because he loves Jesus. They used to put on the steering wheel of the truck that he drove every day, they would put pornography on the steering wheel of his truck, and then he would stick over the Bible. But every day, day in, day, as he went to work, there was this pressure coming up against his faith, this persecution, these plausible arguments, these things that said, Brian, if you just let go of this love of Jesus stuff, look at all this wonderful thing that you can experience in the freedom of pornography. What a lie that is. What a devastating thing to think that that is freedom. There's this pressure. And here is Brian every day putting the Bible on top of that, reminding himself that it's about Jesus. That doesn't matter what pressure, what circumstance, what tension pulls him, that he is 
grounded in Jesus. And my guess is that there's a thousand other stories out there in our community of that very thing that's played out in a different way at school, at university, when the lecturer says, all right, if you're a Christian, put your hand up and then mocks you in front of the whole class and talks about all of these philosophical arguments against reasons for believing in God and mocks you and there's this pressure and this tension that's put on your faith. Paul's desire, our desire, is that you would have a firm faith that is encouraged in Jesus, that is united in love, that is assured and certain and strong, that is rooted and built up in Christ, that is established, that overflows with thanksgiving because it stands upon the finished work of Jesus on the cross. If you, you've ever wondered why there are some people in life and you, you look at them and they walk through this ridiculous season of suffering and yet there's joy and there's thankfulness and you're like, how does that work? You've got no reason to be joyful. You've got no reason to be thankful. You've got no reason to celebrate and yet they do. And my guess is that that person has put down deep roots into Jesus, has built the foundation of their life not on the... The, the, the movable circumstances, but on the immovable foundation of Jesus and what he has done. Firm faith. Wherever you're at today in your journey, from atheist to agnostic to believer, wherever you're at, I want to remind you today that you need Jesus. You need Jesus. In fact, you need Jesus as much today as you did the first day you came to faith, if you've done that. Maybe your faith feels weak. Maybe sin feels victorious in your life at the moment. And, and Jesus just doesn't seem to be enough that the world is tempting. You feel weak. You feel much more like a shaky bridge than the firm foundations of the harbour bridge. I want to remind you this morning that Jesus has won the victory against your sin. It's not about you winning the victory. It's about you claiming the victory that Jesus has won on your behalf. I want to remind you that Jesus promised, I have overcome the world. If your faith is weak and shaky today, then the gospel is the message that you need to hear and go back to. That Christ is for you. He loves you that God has wiped your slate clean, that Jesus has overcome the world. But maybe today your faith feels strong. You're in a good place. Like you woke up this morning and you did a four-hour quiet time. You woke up singing, this is the day that the Lord had. Like you were just praising God as soon as you fell out of bed and, and you came here this morning, you high-fived everyone. You were praying as you walked to church this morning for this whole city to get saved and you led like three people to faith on the way here and you're like strong and then, if that's you, I want to remind you that you don't graduate from the gospel. You don't get to move on from that thing that produced that encouragement and strong faith in you. You need to stay there and appropriate the gospel every single day. Live by faith in Jesus. I live by faith in Jesus. I live by faith in Jesus. Maybe your faith feels like it's gone. Like you had faith at one point in time but it just doesn't feel like it's there anymore. And there is a whole host of uncertainty and a lack of assurance and 
there's no real connection to community and love doesn't necessarily feel like it's there and, and you're not encouraged. You're very discouraged in your faith. In fact, you're not even sure if you have faith anymore. Today, if that's you, then we want to love you and minister to you and point you back to Jesus. We want to show you again that what Christ has done for you is sufficient. And there are a thousand messages that scream at you that Jesus isn't enough, but he is. We would love to pray for you. If you find yourself there today, we would love to pray for you this morning as we respond in worship. Because Jesus is enough. And it's not too late. And you haven't outsinned the grace of God. Come back to him today. Come back and allow the gospel to wash afresh again in your heart and stir your affection for Jesus. But maybe you're here this morning, you're like, I have got no faith. Like, I don't even know if Jesus was a real person, let alone have faith in him. Well, friends, if, you, if that's you and you're here this morning, you've come to the right place. Because we love to get alongside people and help in that journey of understanding who Jesus is. Not pressuring you, not twisting your arm, but simply saying, this is Jesus. We believe that he is so significant that he will change your life forever. We would love to talk to you, pray with you, walk that journey with you of finding out who Jesus is. But wherever you are, I want to remind you this morning that you need Jesus. You need Jesus. I want to remind you about truth of Jesus. Truth that Paul has already reminded this church of back in chapter 1 when he says that Jesus has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You see, God has created us and loved us, and we have rejected that God and that has led to all sorts of brokenness in our life. That we've been creators who are created to worship. And yet when we don't have that worship, we search for that in a thousand other ways that never end up satisfying. That lead to brokenness, sexual brokenness, relational brokenness, internal brokenness. The reality of the gospel is that Jesus comes dies in your place for your sin, takes your brokenness upon himself and sets you free to walk every day by faith in him. That he has transferred you from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of Jesus. That he has reconciled you back to God. That he has forgiven your sins, washed them away by his blood, given you a fresh start. Friends, that is the truth that you need to stake your life on, live in light of that reality every single day. And that's the truth we're going to celebrate now in three ways. First is we're going to worship Jesus in song this morning. I, I mean, in this amazing venue, let's just lift the roof off this place as we praise Jesus for how good he is this morning. The second way we're going to do that is in the Lord's Supper. Down the front here is two stations to my left and right with bread and grape juice. They're symbols that represent the body and blood of Jesus that was shed for you that was nailed to that cross for you. And so this morning, as you come and participate in this reminder, here's how I want you to do it. Pick up the bread, dip it in the grape juice, and say to yourself, this is enough. I don't get past this. Grace is still amazing. I need Jesus today. 
And finally, if you need prayer for anything this morning, wherever you're at on that journey, then our prayer team will be up the back. They would love to pray for you. Maybe you want to accept Christ this morning for the first time. They would love you to do that with you. Maybe you just want to pray that you would that you would come back to Jesus or your faith feels weak or you just want to stay strong in the gospel, wherever you're at, please, our team would love to pray for you. And so we're going to respond. I'm going to pray now as the band comes out and leads us in song as we worship Jesus. So would you pray? Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are enough. And we confess so often that we run from the gospel We run from the truth that you have established us, that you have qualified us, that you have redeemed us, that you have reconciled us, and we graduate onto other things, that somehow we're justified in your eyes by what we do, that somehow it doesn't really matter what we do because the gospel is this insurance policy in our life that we don't have to worry about. God, please keep our faith firm. Keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Pray for people this morning here, God, who are feeling under the pump. For those whose faith feels weak, those whose faith feels almost non-existent, strengthen them by the power of the gospel this morning. God, for those who are strong, remind them not to go from Jesus. God, those who are inquiring, would you help them to see that Jesus is enough? All of us, God, help us to see Jesus is enough. We pray it in his strong name and those who agreed said,